Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grindin' shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 For this episode, you'll hear my conversation with the team behind the Hugo Award-nominated graphic novel, Mooncakes, author author Suzanne Walker and illustrator Wendy Zhu. With an LGBTQ and disabled cast, Mooncakes follows a young witch as she works to help her grandmothers out in their store and their duties protecting the town, only to find out that a white wolf that's being reported in their area is her childhood crush. During their chat, we talk about many themes within the story like sexuality, family, generational wisdom, and much more. Before we get into this interview with Suzanne and Wendy, I want to try something new out with you guys, if you don't mind. I never really talked on this podcast, like really talked, like shared my thoughts like solo. I'm always you know, asking questions and then maybe rebutting about, but I never just sit here and talk like do like an opening monologue or anything. And a friend of mine recently reminded me that I shouldn't be afraid to do that because this is my podcast. You know, people listen to it. And uh, so I should give it a try, you know. So what do you say? You know, I don't hear any booze right now. I'm going to listen. Nope. Pretty quiet. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and proceed. In my mind, you're cheering for me right now. If there's one thing that I've learned during this pandemic is that I do have a voice, so I'm going to use it right now. I have a unique voice. Everyone has a unique story, but I just have a more unique perspective. I, I'm joking. Whatever. We all, have, we all have a voice, but I'm going to use my platform to uh, express mine.
<laughs> okay, I'm no Stephen Colbert or John Oliver, but I just gave myself a haircut and I look fucking cuter than both of them combined. But all I want to do is bring some levity to the situation we're going through right now. We're all cooped up in our homes. We're quarantined. We're, you know, we're going through things that we never thought we would have to. We're being forced into positions. I'm kind of cool going through all of this because I get to work uh, my day job from home, which is awesome because I always had severe anxiety about office space sort of, you know, rules and policies and politics. Like that movie Office Space is real. So being able to work from home, you know, wear what I want, you know, eat whatever food I want whenever I want play my music and podcasts all day. Like, that's what I've been doing, like, during quarantine. Playing a lot of records. Buying a lot of records online, too. So I'm, like, getting packages, like, every day. Um, I got some... uh, This week, I got some good records. Uh, A 7-inch from this band called uh, Shark Muffin, which also had a really cute note um, attached to it, thanking me for their support. Um, I got... uh, What what else? I'm going to roll over here for a minute. Okay, um, I finally got Melody's Echo Chambers, um, like, debut album, which was incredible. It was back from, like, 2013 and, no, 2012, Fat Possum Records. Great album. And then a new album that's out on uh, Polyvinyl uh, Records from Hazel English. It's called Wake Up. Awesome record, awesome. So that's like been a couple, a few uh, records that I've gotten recently that have been really good. Um, If you're listening to this and you have a record that you want to send me to listen to, to bring me joy, maybe, if it's good, you know, hit me up at uh, djkfresh at gmail.com and we'll figure it out. But let's face it, we're not going back to the normal that that previous normal that we had because that previous normal was fucking shit the the this pandemic is shining a light on everything wrong in our society like like a flashlight up into an asshole some jackass that stuck a light bulb up up his butt you know i know it felt good never mind First, you know, for us that are actually staying home and staying away from all those country bumpkins with rocket launchers that can't spell, this can be a time to explore. And by explore, I don't mean the tripped out masturbation session I had this weekend that seemingly eased most of my body aches and pains. Okay, even okay, even this podcast has its TMI limit, so I'm not going to uh, talk about that. <sighs> what I mean by explore is... If you can afford to in time, energy, or even money, this is a time to try some new things out that you've never tried before. Maybe because you don't have the time or energy or whatever before to do do so. You know, read those books you never read. Uh, learn something online that you never learned. Go running. Start some projects. Do some art. Whatever. But, you know... There's a lot of people that, you know, throw those things out there like they're, you know, wannabe Jordan Harbingers saying, you if you don't get out of here, you know, get past this pandemic without a new career or a new side hustle or a new job, whatever, then then you ain't shit or whatever. Take a take a deep breath. Look. 
if you're going to do something during this time because everything's uncertain, do it as DIY, do it yourself as possible. So you don't want to necessarily be blowing tons of money, those stimulus checks on things that you might not, you know, want to do afterwards or whatever, but it's a good time to explore. I was able to catch up on things for this podcast and get it back to a really, you know, good moderation of, because before I would have like interviews that are a few months old, months, months old, you know, because I, I, I did too much, you know, so I'm getting back to, you know, moderation with it, good moderation. And I began to work on my other podcast, the Detroit Music Podcast, uh, Renaissance Soul, which will be relaunching very soon. And I got a lot of great stuff for that. I'm, I'm going to be super proud of that. But um, like I just mentioned, the most important part of all of this, whether you're exploring yourself or exploring things, is that you don't have to. If you don't feel like it, you don't have to. There's a lot of uncertainty these days. We're hearing new things each day about quarantine and social distance and cures and how long it's going to be. There's a lot of information, a lot of misinformation going on. So there's already a lot of pressure on on us, you know. So there's no pressure to learn a new trade or learn a new thing or read all those books or, you know, have your side hustle ready by the time we're done quarantine. There is no pressure. Those sort of things come to people. People who think that way have a, a certain amount of privilege for them already. They, they ha- there's, some, there's something that they, they already have. Whether they've built it or not, I don't want to be positive or negative. But look, if you don't want to do something during this time, if you just want to wade the waters through it, and if you're just trying to survive, just do that. Because you're going to learn something anyway about yourself. I've learned much about myself, you know, my likes, dislikes, what I need in this life. So I've said it many times already. You don't have to do anything during this time, but live life, you know, but remember to live life, but do it, do it, just do what you want. Make sure that you're, you know, you're providing for yourself Providing for a family if you have to, you know, stay in touch with your loved ones. You know, that's, you know, something that I really learned is that I have a good circle of friends and it's important to keep those relationships up, but just, you know, self-care, be, you know, find a way for you to be able to breathe during all of this because, for this, for in some way, in most ways, this is just going to be a long stretch. It's going to be boring. <laughs> it's going to be slow. <laughs> so you, you, there's a lot of people who don't know how to slow down. But breathe. Just breathe. And you'll be all right. We'll get through this. But all I want to do with this uh, podcast, with Fresh of the Word, with Renaissance Soul, with anything that I want to do, is bring some some levity to it all. 
I want to be able to, I feel like whatever I've done in my life, I'm not in the black or white, you know, it's, I'm in the gray area. I'm in the area to where you read something and be like, okay, what now what? Then I'm in the now what, you know, I'm in the one, I'm the stuff that I always felt like I'm in the stuff that isn't written about, you know, everything you read. Okay. I get that. But I want to bring able, you know, bring some levity to these times. And I hope this podcast does that for you. I hope something does that for you, whatever it is. Okay. After a word from our sponsor, you'll get to hear some other people talk as I get into my interview with the team behind the graphic novel Mooncakes, author Suzanne Walker and illustrator Wendy Zhu. Welcome back to the Fresh of the Word podcast. And for this episode, we have the duo that's behind the Hugo-nominated graphic novel Mooncakes. We have the author, Suzanne Walker, and the artist, Wendy Zhu. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah, pretty good. Cool. Good to, uh, good to have you on the show. Uh, the um, I really enjoyed uh, Mooncakes. It was, it was such a cool, uh, cool story. I uh, love the artwork in it. Like, what was sort of like the idea behind? You know, how did this first get conceived? Um, you want to go ahead? Yeah. So we first came up with this. I think it's been five years now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, we first came up with the idea back in 2015. Um, we were we really wanted to do a short comic about uh witch and a werewolf who had been childhood friends and were reunited and it sort of just spiraled off from there um initially it was a meant to just be a short comic but then we decided to expand it into a web comic and then after taking a break from the web comic we uh started sending it out for publication and it was just really um it coincided with my moving back to Chicago after living in New York for a while so it was a really nice way for us to keep in touch with each other and keep our friendship and creative partnership strong while we were not living close together and you know now of course everything is virtual but (laughs) you know um so yeah that's really how it got started Sort of, you know, what what was sort of like the first idea that kind of came about in regards to mooncakes, like, uh, and how did you just uh, what was those first steps? Um, well, we definitely. Um, well, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. Okay, sure. I mean, I mean, uh, the idea of doing a romance in a werewolf was something that um, I had actually been really into since I was like in middle school I read this um I read this romance novel and that this like paranormal romance novel and I thought it'd be really cool to do a comic um because that romance novel was also about a witch and a werewolf although (laughs) it was like very different obviously but um so I and so Suze writes uh really fun like fan fiction in um this was like a maybe a year or two out of college um so I started like illustrating her fan fiction um and I was just like do you want to like because I 
I am an ideas person, but I kind of hate the writing part. So I was like, do you want to like write this and I'll draw it? Um, so that was kind of the, the first um, like hint of collaboration, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember I, at first I was like, this was a really, this is a really great concept. I really like the idea, but I'm like, and it took me a little while. I was like, what can we do with a story out of this? And I ran through a bunch of different ideas. Um, and then I eventually landed on, you know, what if the werewolf is come back because they're on the run from these evil cults who want to use werewolf magic. And it just added, that's sort of where the plot and the tension comes from. But at the end of the day, it's still about them finding themselves and finding each other and really just about their romance and their relationship with each other. So that's sort of where that all came from. Like in when it comes to the characters, there's definitely like, you know, there is definitely those connections that everybody has. Um, I like, I like the, uh, the older ladies, um, what was their names? Nana and what's the other? Oh, so the grandmas, they're named yeah. um, Nick, Nahama and Q. Yeah. What was, yeah. what was sort of the um, idea behind those characters? Because they're, they're kind of like those, you know, they're very confident, but they're kind of like almost like hippie grandmothers in, in a way. I think we both really like the kind of strong older ladies in fiction. That's mm-hmm. not something we see a lot of. Um, but culturally growing up, um, older women are very respected and that's something that I always kind of subconsciously gravitate towards, including in stories. And Suzanne also really likes the, the badass older lady. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely, um, a trope of mine. And I, I remember Wendy, when we were talking in a different interview, we sort of came at this from opposite perspectives because you were talking about how, your grandmothers had always been a really big presence in your life and you sort of drew as inspiration from them. And for me, it was more, both of my grandmothers passed away when I was very young. I don't really have any memories of them. And so I, a lot of times in fiction, I'm like, I want to have, I want to create something that I never was able to have um, and to show the really just supportive relationships. And, And I wanted, we wanted to have a, queer relationship between two older women because usually when you see queer relationships in fiction very frequently it's like younger couples and you don't get to see it with older couples very much so we really wanted to have that be a presence as well mm-hmm. how is having these uh these relationships between a, an older couple and a younger couple how do how do they sort of like complement each other or sort of you know, go, you know, throw to each other during the story? Um, I think that they, I think Nakama and Q are a really strong example for Nova to follow. Like she's had this really loving, supportive relationship in her life. And so she sees that that's something that's an option for her. And I think also they're just very, um, they're very invested in both of these kids succeeding. Like uh, Nahama's Nakama's always very like, I want to 
share my knowledge with you. I want to pass on all of these stories that I've lived through. And Tam, especially, I think very much connects with that. And they both see it as sort of a like, yeah, it's sort of like a symbiotic relationship. It's really important um, for us in a story to have this kind of like older mentor relationship um, because one thing that's like kind of a pet peeve of mine in a lot of young adult fantasy is the lack of guidance and the <laughs> lack of adults. Um, I think it's a very like Western concept to have uh, the the individual, the per- the main character, like, oh, we have to figure it out on our own. Yeah, There's yeah. no one there to help you. Um, and that's, to me, like, not only is it kind of unrealistic, but it's, um, it's not a very healthy mindset to have. I think, like, everybody, you know, needs to ask for help once in a while. So for us in writing and drawing Mooncakes, um, to have, like, to have this couple that represents not just the love that you could have when you grow up, but also there to provide like a family love that's really important to both of us, I think. Yeah, like my biggest frustration is always in like the typical fantasy journey story, like you have the older wise mentor figure and then without fail about halfway through the book, they die. And it's <laughs> like, can we not, can, can we just, not first of all it's boring and it's predictable and you know what's going to happen and second of all like these people are so interesting and they've lived they've lived these whole lives and to just like push them to the side of the story i think does a disservice to them and to just the this whole generation of people who have this knowledge yeah then the younger person has to like go at it at their on their own at that point and And like whatever they've learned thus far from that older person. Yeah. Right. I think it also ties into the idea that like older people in society become disposable. Yeah. I was just about um, to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want a story where that happened. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. No, because you kind of look at it right now about who, who like, things get targeted to, you know, it's because we have this sort of, like you said, it's disposable that now, like when you get older, you kind of, you, you lose that respect from people almost in, in regards to a lot, a lot of things in our culture, you know, and, and there are people who have great relationships, like younger people that have great relationships with their elders and stuff. But like you say, society kind of, you know, makes, you know, the elderly and older folks disposable. They kind of lose their sort of self-esteem. And the next thing you know, and they don't really have a lot of world, you know, a lot of things going in the world, in their world. But then like all of a sudden you have, that's who, they're almost vulnerable at that point because they're not, they don't have that sort of close-knit family in you know like in in society anymore because that's how society kind of everything's about being younger or anything and it, it creeps up a little bit you know through time where you know yeah 40 is the new 30 or whatever but uh 
Yeah, like I, I like that there's these strong older women in your in the story that that represent that you know having knowledge and being wise and and like and that's and that happens in a lot of other cultures and I wish that was more present in our culture. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, just look at the statistics of like who is suffering the most from like isolation and depression in our in American society um, and how and it, it kind of it trickles down to, you know, so many parents right now are struggling to like homeschool their kids like a yeah. lot of people just don't um, understand that I think like parenting is a collective thing um, and that you need so many people involved to give, you know, a child like a happy, stable upbringing um and i think people really downplay the importance of having like elders close by yeah yeah for sure right yeah like i always like if you ever see like in other cultures like you know the japanese culture and stuff you, you always had those wise older men that were like everybody respected and whatnot but then like you look here and sometimes you're like I wish there was more of that and you kind of see older folks being duped into, you know, especially in regards to fake news and politics and stuff like that. They don't really, you know, be, they're, they're kind of isolated at a certain point. So they, they don't necessarily get, you know, w what's going on in this, you know, fastly developing society over here. So it's, you know, it's, it's cool to like have characters in your book that sort of represents that there could be something else. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to be, you know, treated as disposable when I get old. <laughs> yeah. No, my, um, my mom is a social worker and when she was starting out, she used to work um, at a senior center and had to investigate elder abuse cases. And it's just like, it's not great. And so I'm glad, like, I, and I do, there wasn't, like, what a, a goal that we set out with in our story to, like, have that emphasis. But I think that it's reflective of what we want to see and what we both are bringing to the table from our respective experiences For in sure. our lives. Um, I teach, well, before the lockdown, uh, I taught seniors um, like art classes at a senior center and I've worked with seniors on and off and they're so funny and they're so full of life and they they have so much to say and so many stories to tell um, that I think it's a shame that they are basically put into like a space where they only interact with other folks their age like I think that does a disservice to everybody yeah, and I think these days with, you know, going through this pandemic, we're seeing those sort of failures on all levels of why, you know, it, and it trickles down to a lot of different things, you know, you know, older folks get placed in these, you know, homes and stuff like that because families can't necessarily truly take care of them. And that's because of another thing and another thing where, you know, it's really shining the light on like the failures of our society. I agree. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, and I was actually like talking about this in regards to another um, comic recently. And 
want to get your uh, thoughts about that. Like, there, there's these strong relationships between all these people in, in Mooncakes. You know, what's the importance of friendship? You know, the things, having family that isn't blood, you know, what is that importance in this book? Um, well, I think it's one of sort of the key, like, key themes of the book is that um, you have these, you have sort of two sides of Nova's family and they're both equally important and not one of them isn't more important than the other, but you have her blood family, like you have her grandmothers and you have her parents who guest star very briefly and her aunt and uncle, but then you also have her best friend, Tatiana, you have Tam and those friendships and romantic relationships and family are just as important as the quote unquote blood family. And I think that it's, I think it's really important because in my life, you know, like my friendships that I've developed over the years are the ones that I count as family and the people who I've known since I was Nova's age, who I'm still in touch with now, like are people who have known me for at this point over half my life. And that's, there are a lot of shared experiences there. And obviously we're glimpsing these main characters at a very formative point in their life. And you see them when they're teenagers and they're just like having all these experiences, but that's going to be something that sustains them for like beyond the story itself. Yeah, I think, um, you know, regardless of how old you are, it's important to have people who might see you at your worst, at your lowest, but still think of you at your best. Um, I was, I, I also keep in touch with a bunch of my high school friends who have seen me be, you know, a shitty teenager. Um, <laughs> but they still think very well of me. And that that's very, like, important to, you know, my well-being, um, knowing that and I've seen them at their worst and I still think of them as at their best, you know, it goes, it goes both ways. So these friendships are, um, you know, they're really important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes uh, in friendships, like you can see another person in a way that that person can't see him for themselves. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's especially important with Tam because Nova does have a really supportive family backing her up but tam doesn't really have that tam's not supported by their mom or their stepmom they're not in touch with their family but they're able to come to nova and sort of find a new family with them and find these bond form these bonds that are going to last them forever and i think that's really important and it's really important to show that to especially queer teens whose families might not be as accepting to show them that you can build your own family. Yeah. Throughout this story, there's, there's a lot of humor in, you know, all steps of the way. There's always a lot of like humor inserted into that. You know, what was the importance of keeping things, you know, lighthearted at times? I mean, I personally hate it when stories are too, uh, take themselves too seriously um 
I definitely appreciate even in the most like hard hitting sci-fi show HBO show when there's always some element of like making fun of themselves or um or just kind of using humor to interrogate the dynamics of like the world that these characters inhabit I think it can be a very um it can both undercut the tone but also give you a little more insight into the world um I'm thinking about Westworld that which I've been you know binge watching all of season three um but yeah there's a point in season two of Westworld where you realize um that the characters are in a they really are in a theme park like they're they're robots in a theme park and their narratives are being written by a a writer's board some of whom are really lazy so they're recycling the same character tropes and it's like super it's really meta um but I think that makes the story more powerful especially in like more emotionally poignant episodes um so balancing humor with um everything else that's going on is a really important part of storytelling uh, I think to both of us yeah I it's very hard for me to not put jokes into my writing even when things are at their most serious because for me even when I'm at a like in my own life when I'm at a really emotional point like I can't not just tell jokes because that's how (laughs) I cope with things um one of my favorite uh quotes comes from the late great Carrie Fisher when she said if my life weren't funny it would just be true and that's not acceptable to me (laughs) and I I really feel that like if all of the terrible if I can't look back at all the terrible things that have happened to me in my life and find something in them to laugh about then I I don't really see what the point is and you know and especially with mooncakes the particular brand of humor that I use I feel like was well suited to this story because there's a lot of space to just be silly because they're kids you know like they're still kids they're goofing around and I really enjoyed just not worrying about like, oh, is this going to sound or like, and even I, I second guess myself sometime. I'm like, oh, this joke is terrible. No one's going to find it funny except me, but I'll put it in this draft. And <laughs> if they don't like it, we can take it out. On the I, th- next I think it's funny. Right. Exactly. You <laughs> thought it was funny. Hazel I thought it was hilarious. funny. So, and so clearly, clearly I'm funnier than I think I am. And everybody should just laugh at all my jokes because I'm hilarious. <laughs> yeah, plus you got the, uh, the um, you know, the, the hilarious gra- grandmas, you know. Like, they always just have, like, a very hilarious side to them both. It's fun to draw goofy facial expressions. You know, it, if everyone was, like, crying all the time, it wouldn't be fun to draw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that more. Like, what, um... When it comes to the artwork for this, what did you want to really accomplish in regards to the story and the sort of different, you know, vibes from it? Um, in terms of aesthetics, uh, I was I re- tried very deliberately to make the palette um, fall toned, so the gutters are cream colored. There's no um, true white or true black. I tried my best to use. So the inks are actually very dark brown. Yeah. Um, and the closest to black I got was like a very deep purple color that was very deliberate because um, I didn't want there to be 
kind of a starkness to this um, to this book. Um, I, in terms of personal drawing style, uh, I'm very inspired by Studio Ghibli um, and all of the films that Miyazaki does. Um, but you know, in general, in a Ghibli film, the background does a lot of storytelling as well, um, and you see that in the cityscapes and these like beautiful painted landscapes. Um, so I'm always inspired by how well they integrate the background. So I tried really hard to integrate the background. Um, I tried really hard to add like lots of little background details that uh, would make the world feel very lived in. Um, and I also thought very consciously about what the characters would wear. Like Tam only, Tam alternates between like a few outfits throughout the book because um, you know, when you're a teen runaway, you don't have that many clothes. <laughs> so I, I kind of put them in a couple, like a hoodie and some t-shirts and some jeans. Um, Nova has a very, uh, a more varied wardrobe. Um, and I tried to dress her in a way that's like New Englandy, like she's not super fashion conscious, but it looks like a lot of her pieces, you know, she stole from her grandma's closets. <laughs> um, so I tried to incorporate like i guess uh like comfy grandma core <laughs> into her wardrobe um but yeah that uh like all of these things oh and i tried and i made her hearing aids like really bright blue um because i wanted them to be um to stand out because normally hearing aids are like very small yeah um and you know, they're not like, they don't pop out. They're not supposed to, but for the purposes of suspending our disbelief and like making sure that the reader notices, um, you know. And I, I really appreciated that you did that because when I was a kid, we, I had the option of choosing like brightly colored hearing aids. I could have had like violet purple uh, hearing aids, but I didn't want to even though I thought I thought they were cool but I decided not to get them because I thought they would be more visible and they would stand out more and when I was a teenager I didn't want that and so it's nice to have an example of a teenager who is choosing to stand out who is choosing to put her hearing eyes on display and oh I'm glad I didn't know that oh gosh yeah yeah so you could put stickers on them too now oh my god Yeah. yeah there's I just wanted, you know, to make everyone look cute and comfy. <laughs> yeah, I looking want- at it with all the fall colors, like, even reading it, I felt like I had to put a coat on. Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah. You know, earlier you were saying that um, one of the things that you definitely was important in this book was having that you know, being able as a, as a queer teenager to build that family on your own. Um, what are, you know, is there anything else that you are look that maybe you incorporated in this book or just in general that you're looking for that you feel like is missing in, in, uh, queer stories for, you know, more for, you know, teenagers? Well, I think both of us just wanted to write a story that we wanted to read so it wasn't necessarily about what is missing, like what is there a gap in the market that we can fill? Like that's not how we approach the story. Um, how we approach the story was more like 
oh, I never got to, to have this as a kid. So let, let's just write it. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like it was, it was, let's write the story that I've always wanted to read. And especially because I think with a lot of queer literature that I read when I was a kid, it was always very angst filled because they were dealing with homophobia from society or from their family, or even if they weren't, there was a lot of angst surrounding like, will they get together or will they not get together? Which even is something that you see in hetero relationships yeah. and romances. And I'm always just like, I want to see this relationship as it's already established. I want to see how their relationship works after they've gotten together. And so that was sort of, that was another deliberate thing on our part. Like we had them kiss very early because they, um, we wanted them to have their relationship be established pretty quickly. Yeah, growing up, I never really identified with any of the characters in books that I read necessarily, but I did identify with the character if they were a witch. Um, I remember reading all of these witch stories and being like, well, this is just, you know, as a kid relating to it so hard um, and only realizing as an adult that it's because it's a story about diaspora. Um, it's a story about this kid who doesn't fit in at school, who is a total weirdo, eats weird food, slightly ashamed of their family, you know, goes home, has to hide their magic, has to hide who they are. Um, and I think that's pretty common to a lot of like immigrant kids experiences. Um, even if, but in, in which stories, it's always about finding empowerment in like what you are in who you are and what you are and in your family. Yeah. Um, and those kinds of stories always made me feel really happy. Um, so, you know, my desire to write a witch story, uh, to, to create a witch story um, was about that, but also kind of adding the fact that like, I just think it would be cool if she was like Chinese American. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you were saying that um, you wanted to establish this relationship from the jump and, and see a story like that, you know, what's the difference just in how the, how, you know, how these girls are just feeling or living um, when in this book in regards to, you know, having it, you know, seeing it as a part of the relationship in, you know, in comparison to what you were talking about before, where a lot of stories have that angst love affair sort of thing. Will they get, will they, won't they get together or anything? So, you know, what's sort of like the personal like difference of seeing a cu seeing a couple already into the relationship? Um, well, first of all, t Tim is not a girl. Tim is non-binary. Oh, okay. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, for me, it cuts out the annoyingness of um, when a story is purely focused around the will they, won't they, it's just annoying, <laughs> boring. Um, there's a lot more to explore, yeah. especially in a fantasy story. So 
So I'm not saying that a will they won't they story is always boring. Like I've definitely seen ones that are written in very interesting ways, but if the sole tension of the story is that, then um, I don't personally find that very interesting. Yeah, I definitely also find it not really my cup of tea. I think that after a certain period, it just gets repetitive. It's just like, are you going to make a move or are you not? (laughs) And it doesn't give kids a lot of examples of healthy relationships because you're just seeing something at its inception. You're just seeing the start, but you don't see what happens after people have settled into their dynamics with each other or what um, sort of like a healthy, established, especially teen relationship looks like like I definitely didn't see a lot of examples of that when I was growing up and I think that it's good to see like a relationship after it's been going for a couple of months a relationship after it's been going for a couple of years like those look very different than oh we've been pining over each other for six months and now we've just (laughs) kissed for the first time and everything's lovely like yeah it's always or it's always like i want to be with her or i want to be with him or or i mean or if it or if it is if they're already together it's always been like like something that should have you know like they're the the cheerleader and the quarterback and they should be together because they're cool but you're missing these parts of the relationship like now what okay we're here now what what do we do now i think that unhealthy relationships in fiction can be really fun to play around with like the dynamic like as long as you realize that it's not real yeah you know it can be it can be really fun to read about you know oh yeah all this juicy drama but (laughs) um if that but i mean like going back to mooncakes it was never going to be about like the drama of uh of like the angst of like getting together because there's so much more that is going on i mean this kid's like running from a cult right (laughs) yeah that sucks that's probably occupying the greater part of you know your heart your your pyramid of needs yeah and it it is just it's also just doesn't take up that much interesting story time like when I was 15 I pined over someone for like the entirety of my sophomore year and it was so boring I was just like oh like how many things like what can you talk about like how many different things can you talk about while pining like okay I pined over unless you were having an adventure like every week trying to get that person to like you which right. at, at a certain point that's being a stalker. Yeah. I mean, at a cer- at, at the end of it, my best friend did make out with this person even though she knew that I had had a crush on them for a year. So oh. like there was some drama at the end, but also I don't want to relive that. I don't no. want to like have to write about that in my stories. I want to write something that is sweet and where the characters really care about each other and that's yeah, it's just not what I want to the kinds of stories that I want to be telling or reading when it comes down to it what do you hope your readers get out of you know reading mooncakes I mean if Um, they will sorry go ahead oh no I I was just gonna say I hope that they just get a story that they enjoyed and 
I've always been very character driven in my stories. I really love a book that has a character that I just fall in love with and want to read more about. And so I hope that we were successful in creating that. And I, you know, I love all of, I love all of the coloring that Wendy did. I love the art. I love the feel of the book. And I hope that people can take that away as well. Yeah, I was going to say, at the end of the day, uh, a book is about a story. Um, and I, if they get a nice story, and if they enjoy the story, if they walk away wanting to live in this in this magical world, um, then I have succeeded as the artist. You know, I always want to live in my favorite animated movies. Um, animation and comics, I think, are supposed to not mimic real life, but look better than real life. <laughs> yeah. So if you you know, walk away from Mooncakes wanting to live there, then then good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what I liked, uh, liked the most about Mooncakes was that the the story and the dialogue, you know, balanced well with your your with your artwork in there. And so it so, it, you know, it, it made me want to read more and more and more, not, you know, not get tired of reading it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Yes, thank you. So, um, you know, before we get out of here, um, is there any final thoughts that, about, you know, maybe nothing, we, you know, maybe something we didn't talk about or anything that you might want to say about uh, Mooncakes? Um, I think we've covered it. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, no, it was, this was great. Thank you so much for having us on. No problem. Now, where can uh, people go online to get more information about Mooncakes and to uh, follow both of you online? Um. Uh, so I'm at Angry Girl Comics on Twitter and at Art of Wendy Shoe on Instagram. And um, both places I post art, news, etc. And I also have a website, artofwendyshoe.com, where I post news. Yeah, I have um, my Twitter is Susasaur, like the dinosaur. Um, and then my website is Suzanne Joaquin, W-A-K-E-E-N, walker.com. And there you can find updates about my writing and the nonfiction things that I write and all the other stuff there. Hey, yo, thank you for listening to this episode of Fresh is the Word, hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. Empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash fresh of the word. Intro theme music by Foulmouth, Shimmy Bango, and Knox Money. Fresh of the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh of the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh of the word. Follow Fresh of the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh is the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh is the Word. For more information about Fresh is the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit FreshisThePodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the Word.